This is why Small Business Matters from Northumbria University, supporting small businesses with the Help to Grow Management Programme. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Why Small Business Matters. My name is Matt Sutherland and in today's episode, we visit the world of sport. You know, actually for me as an athlete, my first sponsors were small businesses, you know, really small, but local businesses. Today, I'm joined by Tani Gray-Thompson, 16-time Olympic medalist. Tani is one of Britain's greatest athletes. She has competed in five Paralympic Games, going on to secure 11 gold, four silver and one bronze, as well as securing countless medals from the World Championships. Tani is a record breaker, breaking as many as 30 world records on the track and the roads, including the 400 and 5,000 metres, as well as the half marathon in the Great North Run. In 2005, she was made a Dame and was appointed to the House of Lords as a crossbench peer in 2010, where she debates issues including welfare reforms, accessibility and equality and sport. On an institutional level, we are privileged that Tani is the Chancellor of Northumbria University, a position she has held since 2015. My guests don't just stop there, and I'm delighted to also be joined by Colin Allen, strategic and programme lead with over 15 years supporting the development and athlete talent and pathways at the Sports Aid Trust. He also now brings his experience to the boardroom, acting as a non-executive director for the British American Football Association and chairing the British Universities and College Sport Performance Academy Group. Welcome to you both. Tani, from the outside looking in, you can imagine when professional athletes retire that they should have a little bit more time. It should be a little less hectic. But in your case, I don't think uh, that's true. No. So I went from a retirement to uh, working on uh, games delivery for London 2012 Games. Uh, and then in 2010, I retired beginning of 2007. 2010, I went into the House of Lords, which takes up a huge amount of time. I mean, really uh, worthwhile and it gives you a platform and, and it's an amazing place to be. But for me, I never wanted um, my sporting career to be the only thing I did in my life because, you know, I competed at five games and I was incredibly lucky to do that. But it's tiny moments of your life. And um, when I was in my late 20s, Dave Moorcroft said to me, you're a long time retired. And there were lots of other people who had an influence on that, but it made me think about, you know, what I wanted to do next. I actually started planning my retirement at 21 and retired at 36 and a half. And that led into, sorry, this is great, because you're now a crossbench peer in, into that. And what does that really mean? What, what is a crossbench peer? What, what does that involve on a day-to-day? So a crossbencher is someone who's not aligned to a political party. And I, I never have been, because uh, my views on, depend on the issues. You know, I'm a bit all over the place, to be honest. Um and as a peer, you know, our job in the House of Lords, we're not there to run the country. Um, you know, we're nominated, we're there for life, we're not elected. So we get a lot of arguments that we're not democratic. But our job is to to say to the government of the day and the House of Commons, have another think we think you can do better. So some stuff we can send back three times, some stuff we can send back more. Um, but but our job is to be a check and balance. And it's, it's, it's really simple. I mean, the day-to-day reality is a bit more complicated than that, but basically we... Uh, you know, we're we're a bit like the school prefects. And it's funny when you say you're sort of you're reading and you're sort of validating some of the government's work because there, there was a sporting futures report that came about in 2015, and and that was all about encouraging people into sport. But there was a balance, I think, that had to be there, didn't it? And this is this is the balance around winning medals, but also about welfare. And this is where maybe you picked it up and 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 started sort of rolling with it. Yeah. So after sporting futures came out, uh, Tracy Crouch, who was the sports minister at the time. One of the things that came out was um, 
issues around GTA care. And she asked me to look at that. And my remit was massive uh, in, in terms of the number of governing bodies, um, you know, grassroots in England, uh, professional sport. I was asked to look at, I was asked to look at loads of things. But the the bit I, I guess I chose to focus on was looking at participants. Uh, and that is athletes, coaches, physios, everyone who is in the system um, and, and look at how they're treated. And uh, I, there were a number of cases that weren't public. Uh, and actually early on, there was a lot of pushback on the work that I was doing because people were saying there's not a problem in sport. And and there's not a widespread widespread problem. But but actually, as time went on, a few more cases started becoming public. And I think it is a difficult balance between medals and, you know, elite sport is not warm and cuddly. Um, and I don't think you should say to a 12 year old, OK, you want to compete at the highest level you can, but to be really miserable, you'll never get selected. You'll never earn any money. Your parents will spend a fortune. You won't make it and you'll be, you know, you know, injured and broken at 16. So that 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 is not the right thing to do because we need to have that aspirational moment for young people. But it's actually how you guide and support them through that process, because elite sports not balanced. You know, I was training twice a day, six days a week, 50 weeks a year. My wedding and the birth of my daughter was based around my competition schedule. You know, we had a cutoff date for being pregnant. Um, so, you know, that is not balanced. But what you need to do is put balance back in when you retire or you step away or you're not selected. And, you know, I'm, I'm really keen to think about how athletes take some responsibility for for what they do outside sport but also we know athletes who who do other things um you know are are better athletes and you know my own experience i'm a massive fan of of you know doing sport and being educated because my, my dad would love me saying all this because you need something to fall back on you know uh and the other thing my dad used to say all the time is education gives you choices and, like, oh. and as a child i'd be like oh whatever um but it does because, you know, for some people when they retire, they get lots of options, but then, you know, some some don't. And, you know, there's a process that you have to go through in retirement. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen that athletes get to do other stuff and, uh, you know, you're a long time retired. So you need to have something else to do with your life. You need to have a fallback. Yeah. So this is this seems really important. So who was the pushback from initially then when you started this this work? Oh, all sorts of people in the system. Um, performance directors who were worried that if they let athletes do other things, then um, they wouldn't get the medals. Uh, some of the funding bodies, um, some journalists. Um, and uh, actually, I'd have to say probably the journalists were pretty good because they see so many different parts of, of the jigsaw that, that is an elite sport. But um, I think, you know, nobody wants to go back to the days of the 96 Olympics where Britain won a single gold medal with Steve Redgrave and Matt Pinsons. Uh, by the way, Paralympics did really well, but everyone forgets that. Um, you know, because they all talk, oh, 96. And it's like, well, no, it's just the Olympic team that had a bad games. But um, it, it's actually how you find that balance and also what we should be doing. Yes, you know, elite sport provides inspirational moments and it's great and it brings a nation together. But we also need to be thinking about how people can be physically active and contribute to the health and the economic health of a nation. So physical activity for me is, is also an important part of that process because to be an elite athlete, you, you need you need skill and you need opportunity and you need a bit of the right place at the right time and meeting the right coach and the right and, and you need the right support and you need the right physical and there is so much luck that, that can happen in an athlete's career. You know, we, we need to think about how people can be healthy for the whole of their lives. Um, and, and that's kind of big, important thing for me as well. 
Yeah, this is this is really interesting. So your report was quite holistic, wasn't it? Then it was thinking about a number of things rather than simply just winning. It was published in 2017. What were some of the main outcomes and main recommendations to come out of that report that had to be considered around duty of care? So the the first recommendation I called for was to have an ombudsman for sport, and I'm not caught up in the name. I I called it that just to call it something. Um, and it's quite interesting because a few people say, "Oh, we can't have an ombudsman. We should have something else." And it's like, well. We, but an ombudsman sounds better than we need some kind of body that can have oversight, independent oversight. Um, and that's really, you know, there has to be a bar. It can't just be somebody, you know, moaning about their coach. You know, I had somebody contact me recently and it sounded really serious and it, they were talking about safeguarding and bullying and it turns out their coach wanted a training diary from them. You know, that's, that's not, well, uh, you know, uh, it, it could be, but in that case it, it wasn't. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's been some pushback on that. So there's been, you know, a few different ways, you know, UK sport have, have just announced an independent helpline and there are steps, but I think people are worried about the size and cost of an ombudsman and, and also lifting the lid on some of these things. But my argument to that is how many more sports are going to go through, you know, challenges which become public. You know, we've got the white review into gymnastics, we've had cycling, we've had, and there's a number of sports that aren't public. Now, let's not say there's not, that there's really, really good parts of those sports who do amazing things, but you have pockets of behaviour, which isn't. And the 2012 games were amazing, but, you know, I think it brought about a set of behaviours that's quite hard to dial back from because it was hugely successful and the country wants more success and we love it when our athletes do really well. But the the question I have is when people say, well, if you apply GTK, we're not going to have medals. How many medals did we win? Now, there's not a huge number of people in the sporting system that can tell me how many medals we won in London and Rio and Tokyo. Uh, yeah, if you work in that sport, you do. If you work for some of the body, yes, you do. But the people in the street, uh, and I've done this, I've wandered around where I live in London and London and all sorts of places and stopped people so I can have a quick chat. People remember moments. They remember watching... Uh, triathlon or they remember watching a swimmer or clay pigeons they they remember these things and so there is, it comes back to there's that balance between wanting these moments I'm, I'm as guilty of anyone is I watch curling at the winter olympics and paralympics go this is amazing I think I'm a more of an expert than Steve Crabb and then I don't watch it for four years and then I watch it again when it comes out you know so you know I'm I'm, I'm being honest there but you know we we love these moments and so we need you need balance you know and for me to keep being successful as a nation in sport you kind of just need to have balance in people's lives mm, yeah and it was this so this is really important so in 2017 this you brought and created awareness for for duty of care and, and to, to be talked about and for people to take it seriously but actually colin working in sports aid or specifically the talented athlete scholarship scheme you were a bit a little bit ahead of your time because actually this is something that you as a business were already taking very seriously uh, yeah thanks Matt we um, within TAS um, we've always sort of championed sort of duty of care for one of a better term we, we didn't call it that um, back here when it, when the, the scheme was, was established but we certainly um, were one of the, the leading voices I believe around our what we would call dual career so supporting an athlete to um, both develop as an athlete and hopefully go on to win bagfuls of medals at Olympic, Paralympics or World Championships, um, whilst also getting that, that personal development and education so that, as Tani says, that they have those choices come the end of their career, because 
yeah, at some point, an uh, athlete's career is going to end, hopefully after lots of success, but it will end. And yeah, we, we felt and, and continue to feel that it's right that those athletes are supported so that, yeah, we can support them on those transitions um, out of sport to the next stage of their life. It sounds like you've been speaking to Tani's dad, I think, actually. It's, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about TAS. Tell us a little bit more about the model that you've been, that you use in, in the business that, that you run. Yeah, so we... Um, uh, predominantly funded by Sport England and, uh, and, and in, in the past have been supported by, by UK Sport but currently that, that's England. Um, we support in the region of around 500 athletes currently but we have got big ambitions to, to scale that up over the next cycle to hopefully be supporting closer to 1200 come sort of the, the ne- over the next three years so 1200 athletes a year um, and our model is, is very simple really. We um, have a, a it's simpler on paper anyway. We, we have a delivery network um, of university partners across the country. Currently there's 34 in that network. Um, athletes are supported by a team of practitioners at, that, at those institutions. Um, they'll receive their sports science support, so strength and conditioning, physio, um, nutrition, psychology. Um, there's a medical scheme around there as well that an athlete can get access to, to diagnostics and treatment. Um, should they um, need that for sport injuries Um, and then there's also a lifestyle component so all the athletes have a lifestyle advisor and they're the the key sort of linchpin I suppose that that help those athletes to provide some of that balance and and as as Tang's already alluded to it's not often a 50-50 balance um, and and probably never will be but there are are times where where one is higher than the other but they um, that, that lifestyle uh, mentor or advisor um, is, is the, the key person to help sort of empower those athletes to understand how they can better manage their, themselves and their time, but also be that, 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 that critical friend, I suppose. And uh, I, I hope what, what we can provide at TAS is almost a, an independent voice for that athlete, that they don't have to go and speak to their coach about a, a challenge or an issue. Um, it might be that there's a a university scholarship or, or, or something else that they've got um, a, a challenge with so they don't necessarily want to speak to, to the, the university so we can be that, 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 that point in the middle hopefully to, to provide another avenue to, 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 to support those athletes. I think there's some famous names as well that have come through your books aren't there for, with, um, with TAS? Some of the, the, the bigger names, uh, I mean, Tom Daly was supportive back in, in, uh, in his early career, um, Dina Rasher-Smith as a current one, Rebecca Adlington, um, with um, Lewis Smith, um, they're, they're probably some of the more famous names, but we had um, 144 alumni competing in Tokyo across the Olympic and Paralympic Games um, in, in, in the Team GB, uh, of which 66 won medals, 15 of them gold. So, um, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of talent to come through the scheme and we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to work with, with, with those high-caliber athletes. The Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme is based in Newcastle, just off Northumberland Road, but it, it sits within the entity of SportsAid, the SportsAid Trust, which Tani used to be a trustee for, I think. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I was, I was a SportsAid athlete to start off with. So I was funded as a young athlete and I'm a bit too old for TAS. So, um, you know, I was kind of aware of it and, and sort of um, really keen to, to look at the model. Um, you know, the dual career stuff's brilliant. Uh, and I was a trustee. I came off in gosh 2019 I think it was and just sort of five or so years on there so um 
it's quite hard to remember that, to be honest. But um, we should we should have practiced that before. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> but you know, for me, um, Sport Aid was the first organisation outside my parents that looked at me and said, "We think you've got some talent, and we think there's some things that you can do." And I think um, it's it's not. I mean, back then it was two hundred and fifty quid, which was quite a lot of money back then. Um, but it, it wasn't so much the money; it was it was the people. Um, and as sort of sports aid sort of developed and grown, you know, it's, it's access to the parents' workshops, which as a trustee, I went to quite a few and, you know, and you get to have those conversations with the parents about how selection works and what it's like. And, you know, there's that shared camaraderie and bond of being the parent of a, of a talented child, because that's pretty hard as well. You know, you're not, there's no training manual that comes with it. And then, you know, when it moves into TAS, you know, where you know, I, I spoke to a lot of athletes who, who'd been through the programme who just said, you know, how valuable it was for them, you know, all the, the additional help that they can get. And, you know, actually, if you're having a bad time training, you know, you, you can maybe go and do some studying. If studying's quite hard, you get to go away and train. You know, it it just, you, you can't train 20 hours a day. Well, you can, but you're not going to be very effective. Um, and I think having other things in your life helps you be very focused in terms of of what you do because you can't sit around all day and look out and go okay the weather's not great i'll go out in an hour or i'll just watch something on the telly then i'll go out if you're studying and training you you have to you know you, you have to be quite clear in, in what your goals are tas is a broad network isn't it there's a broad network of people there's a huge number of stakeholders how colin how did you and when did you first become involved in in tas and in broader sports yeah, so I had previously, so from university, I joined UK Sport initially in 2006 and worked within UK Sport for four years. And um, that was a, a great grounding into elite sport very early in my career. Uh, at that stage, TAS was UK Sport funded. And I had began to take a little bit of a, a view of TAS from the, the UK Sport side and, and got tried to get a bit closer to the programme and understand how, how it operated. Uh, and through that work, there's an opportunity to transition across, uh, including a move from London up to the northeast of England to join TAS in 2010, um, when I was on a, a knowledge transfer partnership um, with Northumbria University. Um, my role initially as part of that, that, that knowledge transfer partnership, or, or KTP, was to look at, um, the first part was doing a, a stakeholder or, or analysis or, or situational analysis really, trying to get under the skin of what performance sport wanted from the education sector. Um, so involved talking to performance directors, other practitioners and coaches, a few athletes as well. Um, using that to input into um, TASI's future strategies, there was a, a commercial element of that too, uh, where we started to do more around practitioner development. And that's a, a big strand of, of our work now. So did some research with, well, you, you, you will remember um, the, the discrete choice experiment, Matt, because you were, were critical and a, a big support as, as one of the academic supervisors. Um, so yeah, that's the second stage of the project was looking at that, that practitioner development and, and how we could better support the practitioners um, that, that work within our network, of which there's around sort of three, 400 across all of the different disciplines. So it's a, a big team and, and they're the ones who are athlete facing. So. Um, it's a, a very crude um, assumption, but the, the better quality practitioners you have, you, you would hope there's a better level of, of service to the athletes. So they're a, a critical cog that we need to make sure are appropriately supported and, and often 
undervalued as well, or, or the forgotten piece. Um, so yeah, and then, and then my role for TAS has, has, has evolved um, over the years and different projects. So in 2010, actually, you came up from London to bring a sort of step change in the business through this knowledge transfer partnership. And KTP's provided a nice um, vehicle for university and business collaboration to innovate within a business. And you you started looking at other avenues, other ways of making commercial gains. What were some of the outputs then from, this was a two-year project, what were some of the outputs, can you remember, so between 2010 and 2012? Yeah, so I suppose around that sort of 2010 to 2012, we were in the lead up to the the London Games. Um, we were tasked 100% UK sport funded at the time and being 100% reliant on one stakeholder um, when the, um, isn't a sustainable place to be necessarily. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we could secure TAS's future in some ways and, and increase other income streams. So some of the, the, the key outputs from my work was looking at ways we could generate income from, from others. We identified that um, European projects was, was a really good way. One, we could learn um, something from our, our colleagues in Europe who were doing some, some, some great work in the concept of dual career. One, we, well, two, we could contribute to, to that learning as well um, with, with, with our experience. And there were some posts of, to my role for, for a bit of that transition was, was significantly funded by, by some of those projects. Um, so I'm thankful for that personally. Um, we've looked at other ways of, of increasing our, our service delivery and looking at where sports do have money. Um, FA, for example, um, that we could work in different ways with them and, and they can put some skin in the game, so to speak. Um, so yeah, there, there, there's my, a lot of my role has been looking at how we can be more sustainable and and I support on that, that transition from UK sport back to um, Sport England, which I think is a, a better fit now for, for, for where TAS is um, in, in the sector. Yeah, brilliant. I think I'm being a bit naughty here because I was involved. Um, but there was actually a number of academics working with TAS to make that step change through this through this KCP. Uh, predominantly 70% funded by by the government. Um, what was fantastic is you did a, a super job. You, you stayed on. You stayed on after the KTP. And where has your role gone since then? Yeah, so I've had a number of different sort of hats or, or name badges, I guess, or, or business cards over the years. But, um, uh, yeah, from, from project manager type roles um, through to where I am now as a, the lead for operations, essentially, I'm um, that... Um, Try to, to I input into the strategy, but then trying to translate that into a way that we can can deliver it. And I suppose the way I like to describe the role is I try to ensure we've got the plans, the processes, the systems in place, so that my my great colleagues can go out and do the, the very good work that they do and make their lives a bit easier. So yeah, it's very much a, an operational sort of planning role these days. And have you continued the relationship at all with the university in, in terms of, you know, you, you, you're based close, you know, you, you've you finished that discrete project, it was 24 months. Have you tapped into the other university resources at all? No, definitely. The, the university have been a really big support from the start of TAS. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a Northumbria University building right now. Um, we, 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 we use the office space here and have done since TAS was um, formed nearly 20 years ago. Um, and yeah, Northumbria have been a, a massive supporter to, to, to our work and through the, the hosting of us, but, but also access to 
academics, both informally and formally. Um, we, we've got sort of contacts and, 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 and friendly people throughout the, throughout the institution. Um, we've obviously had my KTP was one of the first, I suppose, more formal um, arrangements with the university. We've had access to placement students who have come and done some great work with us. Um, we've had some other interns who have maybe done a little bit of design work and, and access to a, a great colour of students. Um, we've currently got actually a, a, a joint research associate based within um, sports science and, and, and psychology who is essentially an additional member of our team doing some, some, some great research and feeding into to our, our, our psychology work there which has a, a big link to, to, to well-being. So yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of collaboration and we've, we've made the most or, or tried to make the most of our proximity to access to that, all that knowledge. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I like the way you talk about wellbeing because actually we've already talked about Tani's report in 2017 and, and the importance of that and the recommendations to come from that. And that led to, um, I don't think Tani knows this, but this led to, to Colin and I having a coffee. This is around 2018 where we discussed um, potentially another project, didn't we, Colin? And, 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 and then looking at how... Um, the sporting landscape off the back of the 2017 duty of care report could could foster some more collaboration work which was linked to well-being yeah definitely um yeah it was a a, a catch-up coffee that sort of escalated in, in a positive way um, and, and and i've always welcomed that that that, that challenge but also support and, and guidance you've offered us that i guess uh, what we identified is that yes well-being, dual career, uh, as, as I mentioned, and so that, that sort of holistic development, uh, for want of a better term, has always been central to TAS, but um, we felt that we could do it better. Um, and, and off the back of, 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 of Tani's duty of care report, which um, we certainly welcomed and, and I think has, has helped us strengthen our case for, for TAS um, over the last sort of four years or, or so since, since the report. Um, but yeah, we, we, we had that conversation and wanted to explore ways that we could get some better knowledge around well, what, what, what is well-being, what, what are the different components that make it up, um, how can we access some of that, that sort of psychology knowledge within the university, is there a way that we could better monitor it and empower athletes to, to, to self-monitor, um, is there a way that we could allow them to ask for help formally, informally, um, anonymously or, or otherwise, um, looking at systems and processes and, and yeah, just uh, that, that was, I guess, the, the, the gist of our project and, and, and yeah, there's been lots of benefit from, from that work. Yeah, and it must be nice, Danny, to hear that there is, um, I suppose, this um, from from the, that report that there are people who are keen to mobilise those recommendations and to and to look into it and to help athlete welfare and and try to sort of kick the can down the road, I suppose, and and, and better supporting athletes um, and driving attention away from simply just success and medals to, uh, to a slightly broader piece. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's always been people in the system who can see the bigger picture. Um, and it was brilliant working with Sports Aid and TAS and there's a number of other organisations who just got it. So you didn't feel that you were kind of smashing your head into a brick wall um, of, of these moments, you know, of, of, of trying to bring about change. And what what's great is, you know, those organisations have grown and developed and they keep working in this area and are passionate about helping young people to be the best they can in, in sport and outside sport. Um, and it kind of does give me hope, although there are still challenges in the system. Um, it does give me hope that more and more people 
get it and and are trying to do you know do the right thing and it's great you know when you see you know different athletes competing in the gb teams you know and they've got their degree or you know they've got the qualification and you know go on to other things it's 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 really nice to see that you're listening to why small business matters find out how northumbria university can help your business thrive through the help to grow management program delivered by leading small business and enterprise experts from Northumbria University with the support of leading figures from industry and experienced entrepreneurs. The programme supports senior managers of small and medium-sized businesses to boost their business's performance, resilience and long-term growth. The 12-week programme is 90% funded by the government and the fee payable by participants is £750 and has been designed to allow participants to complete it alongside full-time work. The in-depth, high-quality curriculum supports you to build your capabilities in leadership, innovation, digital adoption, employee engagement, marketing, responsible business and financial management. By the end of the programme, you'll develop a business growth plan to help you lead your business to realise its potential. To find out more about the programme, the modules, eligibility and fees and delivery dates, go to northumbria.ac.uk slash help to grow. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. My name is Matt Sutherland and my guests today are Tani Gray-Thompson and Colin Allen. We're talking about sport and how the Sports Aid Trust managed to boost company performance through creating a strong partnership with Northumbria University. And Tani's relationship with Northumbria uh, is actually started really more formalised in 2015 when you became the Chancellor of Northumbria University. And what what does that involve, really? Sorry, forgive me. Maybe I should know. But what what what's your your relationship was formalised in 2015, and what's it been like? Um, I mean, it's a fabulous title, isn't it? Uh, but I have no power to do anything at all. Uh, my power is to shake hands at degree ceremonies. That that is it. So uh, I get to wear uh, an amazing um, gold embroidered gown which is very heavy and it's very beautiful and it was specially made for me. Uh, and and I, I, I get to shake hands and say congratulations mm. and well done. And degree days are lovely. I mean, because you know, every student has been through so many ups and downs to get to that point. And you see lots of friends and family were very proud and um, uh, it's a massive celebration. Although there was a one boy, poor lad, a couple of years ago, he forgot to book his photographs. Big mistake. And his mum was wiping the floor with him. And um, I went sort of intervenes and said, look, well, can, so I'll sort it, right, you know, I, I can help with that. And he, he sort of said to me, you'd think getting a first would be enough. I went, oh, no, you do not understand, you know, <laughs> the photograph is the most important bit of it today for your mother. So, uh, yeah, we do, we do have some funny moments, but it's, it's lovely to be part of people's celebrations. Mm, it's brilliant and it's important. It's fantastic. And I think it's um, it also gives you, I suppose, a, a kind of insight to how universities are working and, and I suppose the role they have in the ecosystem, don't they? Because they're, they're important vehicles for, for not just employment, but for social change and for, for the economy. Um, Many of the guests that come on to uh, our podcast and our last episode was Lucy Winskill, who's our outgoing Pro Vice Chancellor for Employability and Partnerships, um, talked about the importance of university and in, in helping with levelling up and helping with taking, especially the northeast region forward. How important is um, do you think that universities play in, in, in the economy and in, in supporting communities? I mean, it's massive. You know, you you look at the employees of the university and then, you know, the students who come from all over. Um, it's quite funny. People have a view of Newcastle, whether it's right or wrong, uh, which is sometimes challenged in a very positive way when people come come here. Um, 
No, I, I think it's massively important, you know, and I think, you know, the, the pretty friendly rivalry between Newcastle and Northumbria is great in terms of, you know, who's highest on the rankings and, you know, research and all things like that. You know, I, I think that helps to, you know, it helps the city and it helps the, the wider community. Um, and, you know, it's it's just important that, that young people have a choice of degrees uh, and, and where they want to study that, that suits them. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a number of, you know, if I look at, you know, Vicky Pendleton uh, studied, um, you know, at Northumbria and Ellen um, Buttrick, who got gold medal in um, the Paralympics at Rhone. And now I've started naming people. I should never have done that because I'm going to forget loads. But, you know, th they talk really proudly of their time at Northumbria. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to be involved was knowing people who'd been through and just said, you know, what a difference it, it made to their lives. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's great to be part of that celebration. And, and I think you're right, Tani, around the, the contribution that universities make wider than just giving out degree certificates. Because um, hey, I, I can't take any credit, but, but, but TAS was set up and has essentially piggybacked for, um, on goodwill from the university sector and, and uh, the fantastic facilities, the, 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 the great practitioners, they bring a lot, they, it is a partnership with TAS and without the, the university network, we wouldn't exist. And so, um, and we certainly, um, I, I should give them credit. We don't pay market rates for, for, for the services they provide. Um, and we get a lot of goodwill back from, from the sector. And yeah, so they are a, a, an undervalued, but, but key component to the sporting landscape. That's not just Northumbria, that's a, 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 across the board. And, and I think they're often forgotten by, by by others within and outside the, the sporting sector. So this podcast is all around why small business matters and how do small businesses within the field of sport contribute towards supporting our next Olympic athletes? From an elite sport perspective, uh, I feel it's probably a, a misconception within the, the wider public that it's essentially facility. It is just a, a series of small businesses most of the Olympic, Paralympic, national governing bodies are small businesses. They're, they're working on relatively sort of modest budgets with a, a handful of, of, of staff, both sort of operationally and sort of coaches. And, and they're the ones that are the day-to-day -day making sure that there are pathways in place for, for talent identification, supporting those athletes. So I, I think in terms of elite sport, it's essentially a, a collaboration of lots of small business partners, really. So it, from, from that perspective, um, it's not all massive FIFA, UEFA type organisations. The majority of sports aren't like that, um, certainly when we're talking Olympic, Paralympics. So, yeah, I guess that's be work, work, how I see it. I'm glad Colin said that because I think, you know, athletes are small businesses. You know, as you grow and develop, you have a network around you and, you know, uh, depending on what sport you're from, you have to learn about contracts and sponsorship and media and social media and, you know, projecting yourself and doing the right thing. And, you know, um, so, you know, learning all those things are really important if you want to be successful because not everyone can afford to have a really expensive agent. And, you know, your first contracts you might sign, you know, uh, they can be really complicated and you need to understand what you're signing and, and, you know, if a brand wants to sponsor you, what they want you to do or what they, they don't want you to do. So um, actually, it's interesting when athletes transition out, quite a few say to me, oh, I'm not sure what skills I have. And actually, 
you've got loads and loads of skills which would fit into lots of businesses they just don't always understand that and you know actually for me as an athlete my first sponsors were small businesses you know really small but local businesses who wanted to help somebody so um i i always think businesses can can have a much bigger impact on the sporting community than than maybe they think they can so it's it's a really important relationship that that you have Thank you to today's guests, Tani Gray-Thompson and Colin Allen. Find out how Northumbria University can help your business. Head online to northumbria.ac.uk forward slash help to grow, where you can find out all about the Help to Grow Management Programme and the broader support on offer to small businesses from Northumbria University. Don't forget to check out our previous episodes on the podcast and we'll see you next time on Why Small Business Matters.